welcome, and you're listening to Digital Mental Health Musings, a new podcast series from the E-Mental Health and Practice Initiative, providing you with a window into the ever-growing world of digital mental health resources. This podcast series has been designed to keep you up to date with all the latest research and developments in the digital mental health support and treatment space. There's a world of digital mental health resources out there. Let us help you navigate it. I'm your host, Dr. Ruth Crowley. Welcome again to the next episode in the Digital Mental Health Musings. And we've gone a little bit off on a more specific pathway this week in that we have Dr. Jennifer or Jenny Connolly, who's joining us and is going to talk a little bit about digital mental health resources for alcohol misuse. So before I, I welcome Jenny to the conversation. I'll give you a bit of background as to where Jenny comes from. So Jenny is a clinical psychologist and also senior research fellow on the e-mental health and practice team at QUT. And Jenny's been involved in psychology research for over 20 years. And her focus has been very much on investigating novel treatments for a range of mental health problems, including depression, psychosis, and also alcohol misuse. So she's been involved really in the last 10 years on creating or in creating and testing psychological interventions or treatments that have all been delivered via technology. So that could be by phone, online programs, apps. So that places her very well in terms of being able to talk to today's topic, which is digital mental health for alcohol misuse. So welcome. Very lengthy introduction, Jenny. (laughs) Thanks, Ruth. (laughs) So I think maybe a good starting point for today's conversation is, can you give us a little bit of background into how you came to be involved in digital resources and specifically those for alcohol misuse? Yeah, well, I've worked with um, Professor David Kavanagh for quite a number of years before he retired last year in various clinical research roles. Um, And we've worked together on lots of different projects. Um, And at first they started with more, those more traditional therapy modes like face-to-face interventions for substance use and for craving and and for comorbidity. But David was always interested in novel treatment approaches as well, and particularly ways in which we could reach large volumes of people um, and getting evidence-based treatments out there, making sure people weren't missing out on accessing that for a variety of mental health problems. And one of the earliest versions of that was actually a correspondence project. Um, So we did one for depression and one for alcohol, where people were posted CBT-based work booklets. So week to week, they'd get posted a new booklet and they'd work through it. So it was a a guided self-help model. And it did show positive gains for the participants. So not only did it have advantages for people being able to receive therapy in their own homes and and at any location in Australia, because they could take part from anywhere, really, as long as they could receive the post, But it was part of that early work showing that self-guided CBT is not only acceptable for people, that they're willing to engage with it, but that it also works. 
And since then, we've explored different modalities um, as well. So things like the internet, um, phone interventions and apps and combinations of those, as well as combinations of face-to-face um, -face interventions supported by phone treatment, supported by an app. And a lot of those have been programs with an alcohol focus. Okay, so it sounds like from what you're saying, there's certainly been a growth in resources, online resources in this space. Yeah, it has a real explosion. Yeah, and not just in Australia, there's been a lot of work overseas as well. So it's, it has been quite well tested. Yeah, it's been out there for some time now. That leads into what I was going to ask when you say it's been well tested. I'm thinking there's probably a whole wealth of evidence out there around the effectiveness of these programs. Can you talk a little bit as to what that looks like? Yeah, and there have been um, quite a number of reviews now and meta-analyses. So there has been quite a number of studies to the point where we're able to start combining them and looking at the effects overall. And the results are positive. So they do demonstrate that overall. Um, so obviously some studies don't find an effect, but a lot of studies do. And when you look at all of those results, kind of pull them together and look at them overall, they are demonstrating that there is a positive effect for people using self-guided online or, or other digital forms of treatment for alcohol compared to, you know, getting no treatment or, or treatment as usual. And, and those gains are seen even in programs that don't have any coaching or therapist support, so that are entirely um, self-guided. So, yeah, so there is a lot of evidence showing that, as I said before, not only are these modalities accepted to clients they're quite happy to, to engage with them and they, and they actually have lots of benefits and advantages for the clients but they are also effective they do actually work in helping people make positive changes so I know in terms of when we were sort of talking about possibly doing this podcast conversation we were talking about the emerging evidence showing that with our current COVID situation you know more people are in lockdown or isolation and people are reporting anecdotally and also studies are starting to show they're starting to drink their alcohol levels have increased during that time so I guess it would be useful to kind of look at this from two perspectives one is for the listener perhaps who finds himself in that situation and then afterwards maybe for their practitioner working with patients so maybe we could just start with the first one of those scenarios how can somebody find online resources useful for that group of people who are worried about their drinking? Yeah, there are some good resources out there. And um, I think it's it's not surprising, really, is it, that we're seeing that that trend um, with people locked down, confined to their homes. There's, there's not much else to do. And, and also under, you know, experiencing quite significant pressure and stress. So it's, yeah, it's not surprising at all. I think we could have easily and was predicted at the beginning of all of this that it would have an impact. So there probably are quite a, a large number of people out there starting to wonder um, whether things might be getting a bit out of hand um, and turning into a bit of a problem. And there are a number of great resources that can give information and offer online self-assessment as well. And, and that's a great starting point for people who are maybe starting to wonder if the drinking might be a little bit too high or maybe they're starting to notice some negative side effects and, and they might be feeling worried about that or, or bothered by those. And, and so they just want to find out more information, take stock, I guess, or, or do a bit of an audit. And if people often, I guess, start out asking those questions, is this typical? Is, is what I'm drinking, you know, normal amount to be drinking how much do other people drink how does my drinking compare to that and how do I know if I've got a problem how do I know at what point I should be concerned so one great resource for I guess exploring um, some answers to those questions um, is counseling online that's a great starting point so that's at counselingonline.org.au 
and they have information that people can access that will answer some of those questions. And they also offer a service where people can email them with questions if someone had specific questions um, about alcohol or actually for that service, any substance, in fact. Um, They also have a live web chat um, option as well. So in live time, you can actually kind of have a web-based you know, conversation with someone, asking some of those questions or or discussing some of of your concerns. Um, And they do also offer an online self-assessment so people can complete that and and get feedback in the moment about their drinking and um, whether it might be at levels that are concerning and some recommendations for what they could potentially do about that if if they were feeling concerned. So that's a, a great place to start if people are in those early stages of starting to worry. And something else that can be really useful, I guess, of of taking stock and and doing that audit um, is tracking drinking for a little while. It's a really good starting point, um, particularly in situations like this where people might not have been frequent drinkers or drinking a lot before, but are starting to have an awareness that it's increased a bit, but they may not fully understand the scope of how much particularly if you're, say, drinking out of a bottle of wine, it's sometimes really hard to tell how much of that bottle you've drunk. It can be very easy for that to creep up without you even really noticing. So taking stock of that can be a great starting point to work out, I guess, what is the baseline here and and what am I working from? And there is an app available that's quite helpful for doing that um, called On Track With The Right Mix. So that's an app that can just be downloaded from either app store. Of course, it can also be done the old-fashioned way with paper and and pen or, you know, calendar or a diary. But the the app has some advantages in that it helps people track in standard drinks. Um, And that's, you know, I think we've all kind of heard the idea that one drink is not necessarily one drink. Um, And so kind of learning that and and tracking in standard drinks is really helpful because it, it allows a much better meaningful and direct comparison to things like the recommendations by the National Health and Medical Research Council for what, you know, self uh, safe and, and healthy levels of alcohol consumption are, and also for comparison against other drinkers in your age group as well, if you kind of wanted some feedback about how your drinking compares to, to other people. Um, so it's important to track in standard drinks. And so that an app like On Track with the Right Mix helps to, to provide that education and makes it really easy because you can just choose. They have a, a quite a lengthy menu of different types of drinks, some of the most common drinks, and will once you select it, will record what that is in standard drinks and, and also has a little section, a little nifty kind of interactive section with different drinks, and it asks you to move the line up or down to show where you think one standard drink is within that beverage. Um, so in a glass of wine or a glass of beer, and so it will then give you the feedback about you know, where the standard drink is. And um, so it's a useful way to learn how much you're actually drinking. So if you're a wine drinker, you can kind of show, oh, well, I fill my glass up this high and that's actually two drinks. It's, it's not actually one. So it's really handy for that. And it also allows people to record how much their drinks cost so they can track how much they're spending on their alcohol as well over time, which can be handy information when it comes to, you know, making decisions and I guess evaluating the impact that it's having. So, yeah, so they're, I guess, two great tools as a starting point for people wanting to just take stock or and thinking about, you know, maybe needing or wanting to do something about their alcohol. Yeah. So as you're describing that, I'm kind of my mind's going to, you know, they talk a lot about stages of change model. So this, this really is around that when people have, they're sort of in the contemplation phase, the sort of planning action kind of area of really educating themselves around what, What's actually happening? How much are they drinking? What the cost is, which possibly could be significant. 
What about those people who are moving a little bit further around that model and uh, are wanting some strategies to, you know, help with understanding triggers, coping strategies, you know, the sort of more sort of strategic approach to addressing it? Yeah, so people who have kind of worked out, I'm not really happy with how things are and I'd, I'd really like to make a change to it. Yeah. So there are some good resources for that. And so I mentioned counselling online earlier um, and the the email and and web chat that they have. And they also have some online modules that can be accessed for free. And they cover the initial steps in making a change, which are are really the the critical steps for people to go through. And we often find that, and and research backs this up, that often that just that brief part of that beginning of the intervention is enough for most people to go on and make changes. So those modules cover things like motivation. So looking at, you know, what are the reasons for change? What, what do you gain by changing? What, what goals would you actually like to set? And then looking at your personal values and, and how all of that kind of aligns with and, and fits within that as well. So those modules are, are quite handy for someone who's ready to make a change and wanting to work out how to get started. Um, and there's also an app called Daybreak by Hello Sunday Morning, um, and that's free to use and, and download from the app stores. And that's a community-driven resource. So it's um, mostly contributions by other people who are also on a journey to making changes with their drinking and, and at all different stages, people who are starting out, people who are on the way, people who have um, kind of got there at the end. So it's a great kind of community and peer support network that's kind of recovery and, and change focused. So it's for people who are ready and wanting and actively trying to make a change. And there there is also a professional component with care navigators who can provide extra coaching and guidance when that's needed as well. And of course, there are plenty of websites as well that that might not necessarily have modules or, you know, a program, but plenty of tips and ideas for cutting back and making changes and just to give people ideas that they can go on and implement themselves. And um, exploring Head to Health is a good place to find resources like that because they will have a list of different webs and links to different websites that have good information about alcohol and, and tips and ideas for making changes. Okay. So I was going to ask in relation to the, you mentioned the Care Navigators, because we've, we've looked at some specific programs where they can be therapist supported. This sounds like that's not really therapist supported here. It's more a sort of support in terms of working your way around the app. Is that right? Yeah, in, in daybreak. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, in daybreak. Yeah. Um, no, I think it does go a little bit beyond that when the person needs it. But the idea is more that the help, support, the advice, the ideas that they come from the community interesting isn't it it's about those relationships again and even if the maybe obviously the the people in that community don't know each other they still connect in a sort of safe anonymous way if that's what they want to do so which is perhaps why that is so effective yeah and I think there's a lot of value for people when trying to make a change hearing from other people who have done it and the the struggles that they had and in sharing the the particular things that they're struggling with you will often come across someone who encountered a very similar issue and what they did you know hearing and learning what they did to get them through that can be really helpful as well yeah flipping it around a little bit what advice would you have for any practitioners or clinicians who are listening to this podcast and are thinking you know they're maybe getting more referrals Mm -hmm. they're seeing you know an increased alcohol use in their patients how would you suggest to them maybe looking at incorporating these tools 
yeah, digital mental health tools offer a really great option for practitioners, um, say, who might be seeing someone for treatment or support of a particular issue. And there might be a second issue like alcohol use, but potentially there's not enough time within the sessions or maybe it's not, you know, the primary focus. It's kind of seen as a secondary issue. Or maybe there might be times as well when a practitioner maybe doesn't have a lot of experience with treating alcohol and so they don't really have the confidence or feel comfortable addressing it either. And digital mental health gives a great option for kind of supporting those situations. Um, So clients can be referred to digital mental health tools for alcohol to get assistance alongside and in parallel with getting the treatment from the practitioner Uh, And that's not to say they use it necessarily in isolation. It's still, we still recommend the practitioner check in how they're going and and their progress and offer support when needed, but the client can be kind of working through it on their own alongside the sessions. And that way the sessions can be focused on whatever the other, you know, primary or main focus might be. So that's one way that digital mental health for alcohol can kind of be used alongside treatment. And there is a fact sheet on the MPRAC website. So just at mprac.org.au in the resource library in the fact sheet section, there's a fact sheet in there on digital mental health for addictions, and that can just be downloaded and printed out. And that can be handed out to clients. And it has a fairly comprehensive, but at the same time, brief description of the different services and options that are out there. So the client can kind of troll through that and work out what they think might be useful for them and pick something to try out. So that's a, a useful tool as well. And then, of course, you know, a tracking app like on track with the right mix can be useful for a practitioner who wants to maybe create a baseline of the client's drinking and then track their progress as they go through treatment. And um, probably the other potential use is digital mental health tools, particularly the you know support lines, offer a great crisis and support option for between sessions or maybe for therapists who's going away on holidays or after treatment has ended. It's really useful to be able to pass on, you know, if you need some support from someone or you want to check in or just get a bit of advice or you're having a down moment, struggling a bit, here's some, you know, lines that you can call or, you know, resources that you can access to get some support when the therapist, you know, wouldn't necessarily be available. So counselling online is a great support option for that with the email and the web chat. And there is also a national alcohol and other drug hotline that people can call. So the number for that is 1-800-250-015. And they can provide some support and very basic counselling in the moment, but also then direct people to other services that can help. Okay, so we'll put the links up underneath the podcast for all of those that you've just mentioned. But I think, in essence, what it sounds like is that there is actually a whole heap of support out there for people at different stages. Yeah, It's just knowing that they're available and how to access them by the sounds of things. Yeah, yeah, there is. And they're they're quite useful and, and effective. Yeah. What about resources that are available for our First Nations people? Is there much out there? Yeah, I mean, there's more and more being developed, which is great to see. Um, So WellMob at wellmob.org.au is the best place to find Indigenous-focused digital wellbeing resources. And there there are a few there. Um, One example is Yarn Safe, and that's kind of an information hub on the Headspace website, and that gives information on a range of wellbeing topics that are relevant for Indigenous people. And one of those sections is alcohol and other drugs. Another one is strongspiritstrongmind.com.au and that has a really good alcohol information page focused and written for Indigenous people. 
there's no, unfortunately, at current state, there's no Indigenous-specific self-help program. Of course, the Indigenous people are welcome to access all the other services, but there's nothing being developed that's kind of developed specifically for them right. yet. Hopefully we'll see that one day soon. Um, but there is the Stay Strong app, and that is designed to be delivered by clinicians that can be downloaded, again, from app stores. And the Stay Strong looks at areas of strength and worry in a person's life. So it it's, um, was developed for working with Indigenous clients and developed in consultation with Indigenous clients. So it's quite culturally appropriate. And it looks at what are the strengths, what are the worries, what goals they might want to set to have better well-being. So it's not an alcohol-specific tool, but it could certainly be used to explore the idea of making changes to alcohol. That could be set as one of the goals if the client was concerned and, and wanted to do something about that. So, yeah, so there, there is some Indigenous-specific information out there, but it would be great to see more developed in that area. Also, just a quick point in relation to the um, Stay Strong app, because in, I think it's October, the podcast episode for then will be talking with the Stay Strong people at Menzies. So oh, great. Yeah. we've got coming up for those who are interested in learning more about Stay Strong app. Um, I guess a, a handy point to sort of finish up is those top tips, you know, some final points, words of wisdom for practitioners out there listening to this who are, are going, yeah, I think I'd like to give this a go. What would you suggest? Yeah, I guess my first tip is to first of all, work out within your own clinical practice where you feel the gaps are, or I guess the areas where you feel like a digital resource could support you in doing your own work and, and or maybe even make your job a bit easier. So I guess some examples might be having a place to refer clients to for information. So you can spend a bit less time on psychoeducation within sessions. You don't have to go into quite so much detail. You can kind of refer them outside to a good website that can give them more comprehensive information. So that's saving some time in sessions. Or it might be, as I said before, needing a hotline that you can refer them to so that they can access support outside of sessions uh, or, you know, as we've talked about as well, using the programs, you know, alongside sessions. So I guess once, so first of all, kind of work out, I guess, how could my practice be helped or improved with digital mental health? And then look to websites like Head to Health and MPRAC to explore the options out there and which one will best fit that need for you. And it does take a bit of time to do that research initially, but once you have that knowledge, you don't need to do it again, or at least not for a long time to check for updates, et cetera. But it's kind of once it's done, it's, it's done. And then it kind of, the time spent ends up being time saved down the track. So I guess the main point is to not feel like you need to know about the whole digital mental health field and everything out there because it's there's a lot and it's overwhelming. Yeah. So rather than feeling like, you know, I need to be across all of it before I can use it, I guess just start with one small aspect of your practice where you think and feel, you know, could this gap or this, you know, bit of a burden be helped with a digital mental health tool yeah. and then kind of work that bit out first and then you can expand it from there. Yeah, I guess that's how I would suggest your practitioners to get started. How about, I'm just going to tag an extra question on the end. What about from the perspective of identifying a consumer or a patient that this would be appropriate to use with? Is that just a conversation in session? What do you look for there? I think most people are open to using technology and it's it's so widely used. There will always be clients who don't, who aren't across it. Um, and that's not necessarily all the older clients, although there's more of that, obviously, in, in the older clients where they may not necessarily have a smartphone or feel comfortable interacting with it. 
But even then, you can still use the digital tools with those people in giving them printouts of things. And certainly the phone lines and stuff are still, you know, applicable and useful for them. But I guess I would suggest scoping it out with everybody. If you think it could be of potential use, I would not make assumptions about who or who may not be into it. I mean, older people are more and more interested in technology and everything that it can do. And often it's just a lack of confidence and knowledge. And if you can take the time, you know, spend the time to actually just show them to, I guess, take away some of the fear or uncertainty around it, that they might actually be quite receptive to using it. And if they're not, that's great. That's absolutely fine as well. I mean, the whole point to digital mental health is to give people treatment options so that they're not limited to just that one traditional approach. There's actually a range of options that they can choose from, you know, based on what suits them best. So if they choose not to take it up, that's absolutely fine. But practitioners may be surprised by the number of people who are, you know, quite willing to give it a go. Yeah. And I guess as well, with a lot of practitioners now delivering interventions via Zoom or, you know, telehealth. Yes. Yeah. Maybe it's easy to incorporate into those sessions because you can share screens, you know, perhaps. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Well, I think there's some really helpful information you provided us with, Jenny, particularly as well, the actual resources and, and where they can be accessed. So as I said, we'll put some links up for that. Great. Other than that, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. And um, yeah, thanks and bye for now. <laughs> thanks, Ruth. Bye. So that's it for this episode of Digital Mental Health Museums. Thank you for listening. If there are any other topics you'd like to hear us discuss, please head to our website www.mprac.org.au forward slash contact and let us know. We'd love to hear from you.